in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. I'm sure you've heard this before. Every business has a culture, so you might as well make it a good one. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Marcus Dillon of Dillon CPAs in the Katy, Texas area. I invited Marcus on the program specifically for one reason. I had noticed online that he had done what few accountants do, or at least so visibly. He was very direct about the specialty of his firm and the type of clients they best service. However, that ended up really just being the tip of the iceberg, though. As you're going to hear as we get into this episode, we get pretty deep with the discussion of how he located the best firm to acquire for his particular needs, how he and his team have grown that firm, and really not just how they've grown it, but how they've shaped it along the way and have developed a culture that works best for them. Marcus is definitely a targeted and and focused entrepreneur. If you have any aspirations of having your own practice someday, I think you're really going to get a lot of value out of this episode. If you do feel like this episode is particularly valuable to you, please check us out online as well for additional show notes to this and on all our episodes. You can find that at www.whereaccountantsgo.com. We also have a variety of other links there to help you in your career as well. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Marcus Dillon of Dillon CPAs. Hello, Marcus. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me. No problem. Well, to bring the audience up to speed, we have Marcus Dillon, a CPA in Katy, Texas, on the line with us today. And I came across Marcus while doing some research, basically for interesting guests for the program. And I decided to invite him because of one specific statement I saw he had posted. He was very specific regarding a specialty, which I don't see that often with self-employed accountants, and that really piqued my interest. I then contacted him, and obviously he agreed to come on the program, but In that conversation, I learned that he had a whole lot more to share about practice growth and really building the type of firm that you can enjoy owning instead of it owning you, as they say. So, Marcus, I don't want to say any more on that topic. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I definitely want to start at the beginning so the audience gets an idea of where you came from, so to speak. What initially led you to think that accounting you know, might be a good career path to pursue in the first place? I didn't start off thinking I wanted to be an accountant. I actually thought I wanted to do something sports-related in the medical field like physical therapy or athletic training. But whenever I started taking some of those intro courses into those fields, I learned very quickly that the sight of blood or traumatic injuries just wasn't for me. I remember sitting in a basic first aid class and watching a video of a bicycle accident and starting to feel faint. 
which is funny because my wife was actually in that same class with me and told me at the time that I was as white as a ghost and, you know, just started to see the room spinning. And pretty shortly thereafter, a few more incidents like that, I kind of adjusted my degree plan and found out that the medical field was probably not the best choice for me. So we actually were in junior college at that time, and I had been working in a bank under the co-op program when I was a senior in high school, and then I was still working there when we were in college. So I always knew I liked numbers. I liked math. I figured something in that field that was supported by those skills would be better for me. And actually, shortly thereafter, I actually applied for a job with a CPA firm just to do seasonal administrative help and assembling returns. And I really liked the experience. And actually, that CPA that I worked for, Tom, taught me some of the basics of the local firm. And he's still actually one of my mentors today. So shortly after the end of that tax season, when we transferred to Texas State, I enrolled in the five-year degree program there. Interesting. Was there something prior to applying to the CPA firm that caused you to start to think, you know, I want to head towards accounting? Or did you just happen to apply at a CPA firm and then you had the right mentor? I think I had, it was a little of both. I felt confident with numbers and always felt accounting would just be a good start for general business. And we'd kind of go from there. And then also just the experience in that local firm, kind of seeing how a small firm operates and just how ingrained it is in the community. That's really what piqued my interest. Okay. Okay. Now it looks like you went through school and got started in audit. Was that the case? That's right. So we transferred to Texas State and went through the five-year degree program there. And with that, there's an internship that could be built into that program. And so the partner that was actually recruiting at Texas State at the time was an audit partner. And that's pretty much what led me down that audit track was just the interaction with he and his team, with him and his team. And that partner was actually, I guess, had newly moved over to EY after Anderson, after everything that kind of went on with Anderson and the Houston office. And so I actually was very fortunate, I felt, to have an internship with a good big four firm in Houston shortly after everything kind of went down that time of the accounting industry. And the internship provided me a really cool atmosphere. I got to travel some. We were busy with all the Sarbanes-Oxley work shortly thereafter and got to make really good money over the three months of my internship. And it was an easy decision for me to kind of pursue that audit kind of plan just because I had a guaranteed job waiting for me after I graduated. Okay. Okay. What time frame was this exactly? It would probably been 04. 2004 is whenever, oh, 03, okay. 04, the internship, the uh, audit, kind of all that good stuff that was happening in Houston. Okay. Yeah, that was a tough time in the economy overall, much less for Houston. <laughs> yeah. That was fortunate. Wow. And we always said, so we're from the Houston area, and we always kind of anywhere else, we either stay in Austin, San Antonio, but then the jobs were in Houston for us. So we actually moved home. So that's fine. You kind of go where the money is. Okay. Well, I know obviously you've got your own practice now and, and I want to get into that, but I want to make sure that we don't miss any of the you know formative things that happened in sure. between. Walk us through your time with EY and then you know the other moves between that and having your own firm. 
So at EY, you know, during the internship, which internship was very valuable to me, you see a side of the accounting industry that you really don't see in school. So I'd recommend that to anybody that has the opportunity to do an internship. After starting EY, I wasn't at EY too long because we actually, my wife and I are high school sweethearts and we got married pretty young. I think the summer we graduated from college, we got married. I sat for all four parts of the CPA exam. We bought a house and started remodeling it. And then we actually became pregnant two months into our marriage. So life was starting pretty fast for us there. And just the big four atmosphere at the time just wasn't conducive to the family life that we had. Rachel, my wife, was educator. She taught for nine years. So just the two different lifestyles between an educator and then a big four audit career just didn't mesh very well for a young family. So about two years in at EY, I just knew that I wanted something different and I didn't know really what that was. And at one of our first daughter at her birthday party, I believe it's her one-year birthday party, a family friend of ours who is a CPA, never knew much of her story about where she worked or anything leading up to that point. But she actually worked for a small CPA firm on the west side of Houston and asked me you know, if I knew of anyone wanting to go to a smaller firm because the firm that she was at was looking at starting an audit practice and just needed some more help. So the stars aligned and I kind of found my exit from Ernst & Young at that point through that family friend. And shortly thereafter, I moved over to that firm and helped them start their audit practice. Wow. Okay. Okay. From scratch. They already had a pretty good, just the basic accounting, bookkeeping, and then they did provide review services, but they just had a few clients that needed to step up to just audit. So at that firm, I actually helped on the audit side for about two to three years. And then the opportunity came up to roll over to the tax side. The manager that was at that firm actually went to work for a client. And so I was able to roll over to his seat in managing the tax side of the practice. So I got to really see both sides of a small firm, the audit side and the tax side, which became pretty valuable to me. And it forced me to learn the soft skills that were needed to go over a tax return with somebody and kind of see from the client's perspective what we could do to really help them out. Okay. Was that experience also your first, I guess, introduction to business development kind of activities? I'm just thinking if you were starting. There was. So that firm definitely compensated for any work that you could bring in. So as a young accountant with a young family, I was all too eager to make a little bit of extra money by recommending any family member, friend, anybody that I could do a tax return for, any type of accounting engagement to go through that firm. So I would at least get some type of recognition for that. So business development did start at that firm and just kind of grow from there. So that was really where I was introduced to how important it is to be involved in the community and obviously business development, that piece. Okay, that probably benefited you and <laughs> what you do now <laughs> with your own firm, I would suspect. Definitely, definitely. Okay. So I guess before we get into your own firm, is there any, I guess, other experience that you feel like you really gleaned, you know, from staying with that local firm for a while or any way that experience helped you prepare to do what you do now? Oh, definitely. You know, the main thing, I learned a lot in that situation. I learned how a small practice operates, how to deal with multiple clients, how to deal with the stress of the different seasons that a practice has. But then also something very valuable that I learned was how to price engagement. So 
that was pretty important at that firm and obviously every firm pricing of engagements, but really the partner there at that time kind of gave us freedom to price the engagements as we saw as long he had final approval, but he would take our recommendations, which that piece also definitely was helpful. Okay. That is one of the harder decisions you have to make when you go out on your own, Mm -hmm. I think, is figuring out pricing. So that I'm sure that was very valuable. Definitely. It was. And so I worked I worked at that firm during my twenties and the unique piece of that firm is he actually compensated us based on percentage of production. And so with you being able to price most of your engagement, you became pretty efficient in how you are able to to work throughout the day and you're always mindful of your activity there. So Okay. So at what point did you start your own practice or how did that transition happen? Sure. So that firm, like I said, it was a great experience. The partner was fairly young, so it was going to be a long road ahead before full ownership was really ever talked about. So in 2008, the real estate market softened for us at that firm. And then the fact that we were, most of us were paid on production, a lot of our clients were impacted by that just soft market and there was less work to go around. So for someone that's paid off production that doesn't control available workload, I was in a weird position for a couple of years and my wages actually decreased just because of the lack of work from prior years. So at that point, I knew I had a choice to really turn on the business development side to feed that firm that I didn't have ownership in, or I could do something different and start my own. So shortly after going to work for that firm, I knew from the beginning, I wanted to be a business owner. I liked accounting. I felt accounting was the right fit and I was confident in those skills. And I only gained more confidence in my experience at that firm. And just being able to see the unique aspects of both a big four firm and then also a small local firm a couple times over, it gave me the tools that I thought I could do this. I could go out on my own and I could make a career of being a you know self-employed accountant. So after that decision was made, I was all in on trying to find the right firm. I had signed up for all of the CPA firm broker emails. And when one of those hit my inbox, it was Christmas time, you know, just opening them up, seeing where the firms were located and if they would fit kind of what we as a family identified as ideal at that time. Probably over the next few months, still working in that firm and really just obviously serving those clients and everything like that, just the right firms didn't present themselves by the brokers. And I knew that in the meantime, there was something I could be doing, but just didn't really know what that was. So I reached out to one of those actual CPA firm brokers to say, hey, what should I be doing? And he actually gave me some really good advice on just personal debt level, you know, that you would need a down payment if you were going to acquire a book of clients. But he also introduced me to the banker that funded a lot of the firms that he ultimately represented. So over the next year, we aggressively paid down all debts other than our mortgage and socked away the cash needed for a down payment if we were going to find the right client book. And then that relationship with that banker, actually, it allowed me to start a pre-approval process with them. So whenever the right firm came up, everything was in place in order to just move forward and quickly close on the right firm. Wow. You were patient and very methodical about this. Yeah. So... There's definitely, you can prepare for most things in life. And so we just, I guess we're planners by nature and we just knew that the right firm was out there. We just didn't know at the time when that was going to come up, but we knew that to be patient on our side, that there were things that we could be doing that were, that could be done at our level 
in order to make the ultimate acquisition that much more successful. And you were still working at the other place. Definitely. So still giving 100% at that firm and really nothing had identified itself. Just had a dream about starting our own business, whether that be an accounting business or something else, and just knew that an opportunity was going to come up. We really had faith that that was the case. So after being displeased with the broker listings, I actually took initiative upon myself to find the right business to acquire. So in January 2011, I researched all the firms licensed by the TSBPA, the Tech State Board, and the zip codes where I wanted to do business. And then I actually cross-referenced those firms with the date the owner of that firm became licensed in the state of Texas in order to gauge how many years they've been in practice and see who would be close to retirement. After that, we took that list and then used social research to kind of come up with this final list of about 40 firms that were in a desirable area to us, the social aspects of the firm. They had a good presence and that given most of these firms were older, we had to figure out a way to connect with those firms. And we felt the best way to connect with them would be to just initially write a letter explaining our situation, our intentions, and then attaching my resume. It's one of those life moments that I clearly remember sitting at my desk and just sealing each one of those envelopes praying over each one and then walking them down to the mailbox. And then, you know, we mailed those out in March of 2011, because if I knew that I was going to wait until after busy season was over, I would delay the decision just another year. Since the schedule of a small CPA firm becomes a little bit easier during the summer months and you just, if you can delay it, then why do it? So out of those 40 firms that we sent letters to in my resume in March of 2011, I was contacted by at least five or six with ownership or employment opportunities. And so you ended up not using a broker. You ended up no, I, doing this on your own. Correct. I actually wow. became my own broker. So I took that initiative upon myself just after being frustrated with what the broker had to offer and it being kind of picked over. The broker obviously asking more for the practice and what it would have been worth. So one of those firms was actually owned by Bob St. Jean in Katy, Texas. And his basic clients and firm was ideal for the location, industry served. And then he was actually, he was ready to focus on other areas of life and had a recent health scare. So he was ready for retirement. And he was actually planning on listing his business with one of those brokers right after tax season ended. So we got to know each other over the next few months and came down to an ideal situation where he was ready to exit, I was ready to enter, and we had all of our ducks in a row with the pre-approvals. So we actually closed on that business within the next few months, and then the new firm opened for business July 1st, 2011. There are brokers somewhere taking notes on what you did to find these firms (laughs) to improve their own process. That is amazing. You are an analytical guy. Well, the data is out there. And so it's just, how do you extract that data and how do you use that data? And so, you know, I don't want to take full credit for it, but I stumbled upon it and just thought it could work. I'm sure there's guys out there that build lists in different industries and this is what worked for me. And if it worked for somebody else, then I'm happy to pass that along through your show for them to know it. Thank you. Thank you. Another thing you mentioned when we were scheduling all this that I found interesting, you said that the growth of the firm has been 5x, five times what it was when you acquired. Am I remembering that correct? No, you're correct. So that's a pretty crazy number, I think, whenever you step back. And, you know, as business owners, we get lost in the weeds all the time. And so anytime that we actually stop and think, we have to be so thankful for where we're at today. And 
So there we were in 2011 and yeah, five times growth over the seven years. So, you know, the firm in July of 2018 has been seven years now, but just hard work and being consistent led to that success. So in 2011, July of 2011, I had just turned 29 years old. We had a four-year-old and a six-year-old daughter. And my wife, Rachel, was actually our breadwinner at the time with her public school teacher salary. So given all of that, you know, the firm starting the business was a risk, but it was a very calculated one where I was betting very heavily on my abilities. And Bob St. Jean's client base was a great start. It was just big enough. It was the ideal firm that if I continued to work at the pace that I was already accustomed to, it would achieve enough net revenue to satisfy one, the bank, but then our current lifestyle that we've made for our family. So, wow. Yeah. What do you feel led to all that growth? Because five times is a lot in seven years. Yeah, no. So it's probably a variety of different things. So initially, just immediately after starting the firm, the first surprise that we got was how many former clients sought me out or left the other firm to follow me. And so we had never planned on that never wanted to disrupt any business from a firm that I was previously a part of, but the clients made that decision. And that influx of clients forced us to address staffing year one. So my really good friend from college, Felicia, actually worked with me at EY, stayed longer than I did at EY. And then I actually hired her to go to the other firm and fill my audit role that I left to go to the tax side of the practice with. So Felicia and I have been great friends. She's been an asset to the firm, but she actually left our previous firm at the same time that I did, but to go into industry. And, you know, as a working mom, six months into that new role, she learned that industry wasn't for her, that she wanted a little bit more. And at about that same time, we were realizing, oh man, all these clients are coming over that we had not planned on. And so that allowed us to at least bring her on to help service those clients. So the Katy and West Houston area, just in general, has been very good to us over the years. We feel that plus a great social presence, and that's just led to so many inbound calls. So over the first five years of the firm, we experienced an average growth rate of 30% year over year. And every year we added new team members just to keep up with that pace. So we were definitely reinvesting in the business, all the technology that comes up to date with growing at a pace that fast. So we were definitely kind of on track, but we knew that our client and community relationships helped fuel that growth during those first few years. So, When you said social presence, I just wanted to find that. Do you mean in the terms of social media or do you mean that you guys are going out and shaking a lot of hands? A little of both. We definitely want to be involved in the community where we work. So whether that's through different organizations, but really social presence, we want brain recognition. So whenever we do come across a contact or a colleague and they try to go out and find us or do research on our firm, that we do have a good website, that we do have a good presence. LinkedIn pages are all up to speed. So I think that's what we mean by social presence, just that Whenever someone was given our name, that brand recognition was somewhat there, and at least they had seen or heard of us, and maybe they didn't, but whenever they went to go do their research, what they found was a quality picture of our firm. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I was defining that. Social media isn't a topic we've gotten into much on the podcast, surprisingly enough. So thank you. Thank really? You for- yeah. yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I hadn't even noticed it until you mentioned it, honestly. <laughs> well, well, there's uh, 
you know, by you saying that, I'm sure you'll get flooded with a lot of requests by people who do SEO services and things like that to all of a sudden sponsor the podcast. So there you go. There you go. Hey, this may work out. (laughs) (laughs) As long as we're on that topic, I alluded to this in the introduction. What caught my eye was on LinkedIn, I noticed that you specified a niche of dentists and doctors and other similar professionals, I think is the quote. I find a lot of people when they're starting their practice, you know, you accept whatever will pay the bills. At what point did you get more specific and how did you make that decision? I mean, tell us about that process a little bit. That was definitely a long process. So given that 30% year-over-year growth rate, we actually did something pretty drastic in 2016. My mentor, Tom, who I worked for way back when, we were having breakfast and both discussing the unique issues that each of us was experiencing in each of our own firms. So he still owned a firm at that point. And then we just came away from breakfast asking if there was a way to resolve some of those unique issues that each of us had just by merging the client bases together and operating together. So after a summer of discussing that back and forth in November 2016, we actually rolled Tom, his staff, and client into Dylan CPAs to achieve his succession plan and allow him to start focusing on different aspects of the accounting decision. So that immediate influx of clients also led to probably about another 30% increase in client base. So part of just the pace of growth up into that point and then adding on another layer of uh, another influx of clients, that's probably one of the decisions that it will make you test everything within your business. So one of the hard lessons that we just learned over the last really couple of years is whenever you're growing at such a high pace and then you bring on something like another book of business or another partner or some other just roll in, everything within the business is tested. All the systems are tested. And that's just one of the pieces that we've been working through over the past, I guess it's really been two years, is making sure that everything within our practice works and is doing its job, whether that's from a customer service standpoint, our culture, our time management. All of that is really what has been tested over the past two years. And we can kind of talk about how we've narrowed our focus here within the last 18 months here as well. So I know that one of your normal questions that you ask is the hard lessons that you've learned along the way. And the hard lessons that we've learned is how do you maintain just such a high level of customer service throughout that growth? Culture is very important to us. We want to retain our culture that we believe in so much. And then also just time management. So the way that we've been able to actually make sure that we keep everything in perspective is we're very fortunate to have mentors and actually a CPA specific business coach that we can rely on to help guide us in our decision making. So the pace of growth that we were experiencing was great from a client base standpoint, but we got to the point where we were reactionary in how we provided services to those clients and ultimately provided value to those clients. The old way of doing things just, it wasn't working anymore. And I'm not sure if how many of your listeners, but those annual conversations that we were having with clients were just getting old. So clients being surprised by one, their financial results and whether or not they even owe tax or were leaving tax planning opportunities on the table is just it frustrates us because we want so much more for our clients. We want to provide so much more value. And there was just a gap in how that was working in those relationships. So 
in those situations, we were dealing with stale financial information where we had to clean it up, prepare a tax return or financial statement, and then we gave those changes back to the client. And the very next year, we would go through that process all over again. And that's just insane. So that process, while it's extremely frustrating to the client, it was also our team were, we were just up against ourselves with how do we fix this? How do we be better for our clients? So we felt as though we were letting our clients down by not being able to take a proactive approach or plan with them throughout the year. So this is what changed us to actually embrace a new business model and shift from focusing on annual only commodities of a tax return or financial statement to providing more value throughout the year. And the way that we do that is by an all-inclusive service offering. So that was kind of step one is how do we serve the client? And then step two was the thing that was tested the most was as our firm grew, our personnel also grew and that led to a shift in just the firm culture. So I'm sure you've heard this before. Every business has a culture, so you might as well make it a good one. And we try we try very hard to define our culture and live out what we believe. So a huge part of our culture revolves around being family-oriented, and you can see that in the priorities of our team members. So as we grew, Mark, we identified that our ideal employee has a background in business or accounting and that they would be looking to re-enter the workforce after staying home with children. So where we are located on this west side of Houston, suburb of Katy, you know, Sugarland Woodlands, we actually have a very strategic advantage in where we're located. So we have a lot of parents who choose to stay home with their children. And then once they get their children into it, whether it's a stable Mother's Day out or even elementary school, they feel like they want to contribute to their family either financially or they want to use the degree that they used in the workforce prior to staying home with their children. And so we feel that we can give them a really good work home to do that. And for a few hours a day, they can be something other than a mom or a spouse. So we really pride that in ourselves and we're very protective of that family culture. Obviously with growth and adding team members, your culture just starts to become watered down. And we actually had you know, the flexibility that we were so proud of, it had been taken advantage of in certain situations. So we had to have, along the way, we had to have some hard conversations, some one-on-one conversations around certain incidents, just in order to protect the culture that we believe in. And, and some of those hard conversations led to better situations, and some conversations led to people actually exiting the firm. And, you know, we can't jeopardize the good of our entire team just for a few. So that's something that's very important to us, our culture, how we live out our daily lives, just because we actually have about six team members who are on that flexible work schedule, and we want to embrace that as much as possible. And so we have to be protective of our culture. You mentioned something along the lines to me in our pre-show conversation about making the decision to either slow growth or not grow for a period. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly how you phrased that. Was that recent? And what? Yeah. how'd you do that? (laughs) Yeah, not a problem. I can definitely give some insight of that. So after the injection of clients in 2016, like I said, a lot of things in our business were tested. Processes, culture, level of client service, all being put to the test. So we actually came out of the 2017 tax season, April of 2017, and we were just exhausted. We decided we had too many clients and we needed to pivot quickly before the most important aspects of our business were diminished. So what we did in the summer of 2017 is we actually identified clients that we just didn't feel that we provided the most value to given our business goals and our model shift. 
And we were actually able to transition those clients to other CPAs that we knew could actually service them better and provide more value. So in 2017, we actually took a block of clients that made up about 10% of our gross revenue, but 25% of our individual income tax client base and actually exited them from the firm. So that was a huge step. And we actually are also in the summer of 2018 that we're just coming out of. So we set our 2018 firm goal to replace that 2017 revenue with the all-inclusive services, this model that we embrace. And we actually met that goal in September of this year. So essentially, we traded about 300 tax return relationships for 15 new clients (laughs) by doing so. So. It's a few less relationships to manage for sure. (laughs) It is. It is. So, and we've seen such great success in that just better relationships with clients, being able to plan throughout the year. So in August, uh, a couple months back, we actually exited another large chunk, large client block from the business. So Tom's retirement from the tax practice forced us to kind of choose what we would focus on and we stay true to ourselves in our embracing of that all-inclusive model. So this 2018 client block makes up about 15% of our gross revenue and about 30% of our individual income tax client base. So our goal for going forward is to replace that 2018 block of clients with more all-inclusive clients, you know, better relationships where we can provide more value. And we've tied employee incentives to that firm goal. And I think their buy-in in order to just help and educate our client base is really what's making this shift so successful. I think by tying incentives and it just increases employee morale, they celebrate every win with us just as if they were an owner because it just means that that's one more client that they can help throughout the week, throughout the month, and that they're going to be left better educated than we found them. Hmm. I'm just curious, when you do that, when you're transitioning some of your clients over. Are you effectively selling a piece of the business and introducing one firm to them? Or are you, you know, explaining the transition and giving them three or four places you know, to suggest that they call? <laughs> so what we've done is we've actually partnered with some CPA firms that we've identified and actually have become pretty close peers with where they just felt that they didn't have enough clients. So by referring over these client relationships, it gives them an opportunity, but also it services the client because we know that that firm has bandwidth. And then we're ultimately making that introduction to that firm. They do not have to use that firm by any means. So it's really, we try to take the mindset of who's best going to serve the client going forward. And that's where we've been really successful in identifying you know, these firms that we're just as invested in helping them out because we want to see them be successful. So over the last two years, we've actually helped three firms grow their client book with clients that they'd like. One, this most recent one is the person, a CPA who actually was working at another firm, but wanted to fully go out on his own. And so this block of clients lets him do that. So, Wow. Pay it forward, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, you know, if we're able to pass on any knowledge that we've learned over the last seven years or even over our career, we're happy to just so somebody leaves better informed than we were. So there you go. So Marcus, there's a whole lot more I'd like to ask you about, but I do want to get to the final questions. I want to make sure we cover the niche though in a little more depth, if you don't mind, because that is one of the items that you know sort of attracted me to you in the first place online. Tell us more about your niche specifically. 
So I think the piece that really stuck out to you was that we mentioned helping dentists, doctors, and other similar professionals through our all-inclusive service offerings. And really that's leading up to just our experience as a whole over my career and the people in our firm. So I've been very fortunate to work with a variety of different industries over my career, but most of my clients were either in professional services, real estate, or construction. So that's what we always felt most comfortable serving. And then after our growth really started to take off, we were serving so many different clients in different industries that we just couldn't keep up with the different opportunities that exist for every major industry. So we felt that it was only the right thing to do to serve the clients to the best of our abilities that we just kind of isolate and narrow our focus just a little bit just to be able to serve our client better. So we actually identified professional services as the main one that we could provide value to of that healthcare law and IT professionals were originally the ones that we identified just because with those professional services, we could actually provide a lot of the efficiencies and improvement that we've seen in our business over the last seven years, we can actually apply that to those clients' businesses. And then after Tom's client base came over in 2016, we narrowed it to target medical professionals, dentists, doctors, and vets even more so. And by serving that niche, it's allowed us to invest in those industries and other professionals that support those industries that much more. So we've identified our ideal client, kind of our referral sources know who our ideal client is. And that's really allowed us to educate those professionals on who we are and how we can help ultimately their client achieve those goals and make that professional's job a little bit easier. So like the thing that caught your eye, we've seen really good momentum into that dental and medical space just because that's been our core focus over the last 18 months is really those professionals that support those industries and then also the clients that are in those industries. So we are fully invested in those and it allows us opportunities to speak to those industry groups, whether it's by co-hosting education, just so we kind of leave those clients or potential clients or even just the professionals themselves more educated than we found them just because we believe in education just so much that we want to inform our friends in the industry as much as we can so they know what options are available to them. Interesting. I'm assuming that's part of your full service model too that you're going to. Yes and no. So we actually have, we've got some different programs within that model to where Maybe it's somebody that works in a practice right now, but they're ultimately interested in starting their own practice. And so we'll invest in those clients and make sure that they're doing the right things along the way, much like I did, to make sure personal debt levels are in check, that they've got money for a down payment, that they've identified the right practice that they want to be a part of or acquire, and that whenever the right practice comes up, that all their ducks are in a row. And essentially, it's just moving forward as opposed to a retroactive getting everything together at that time and trying to close the deal. We find it much more successful for that young dentist or doctor to be ready when that opportunity presents itself. Wow. You're doing a lot of front-end investment on your future client base. We are. And we just, we believe that it'll come back to us, whether it's a potential client or potential business down the road, or if that person is just better educated. We know that if they hear us speak or they reach out to us, whether it's through LinkedIn or our website, and we're able to educate them on some piece of the tax code or some part of their business that they have a question on, 
they're going to pass that along. Maybe someone will say, where'd you hear that? Or maybe they'll refer us later on. So I think that's kind of the goodwill that we're building in that industry right now, in those industries, just because we're not looking for immediate clients out of those. We're just trying to educate them as a whole. Interesting. That's a unique model. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions, and I do want to be respectful of your time. So let me get down to those. The first one is usually the easiest for guests. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? I think my proudest moment is just that we've created a sustainable business that is bigger than I am. So my role continues to evolve as we elevate team members within our business to lead different areas. And we just have a ton of small daily wins. And I can't take credit for any of it. I think God's plan for my life in our business has allowed us to serve our clients and walk with them through some of their best moments, but then also some of their hardest. The same can be said of just team members that we have been so fortunate to, they've been a part of our firm over the past seven years. And we're just so grateful that we've been entrusted with this business just so we can help support them and just clients and then just so many other people. That is a good feeling. Definitely. Well, secondly, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, of course, because that's where the value is. But the bigger mistake you're willing to share, the better. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer, Mark, and I think the biggest mistake that we made to date is just thinking that our plan is the best plan. So like I mentioned earlier, in 2016, we rolled in a significant client base and we just assumed that those clients would assimilate to our way of doing things. Looking back two years, we've been able to learn that that influx of client relationships, while it was a lot of work, that's not something that we plan on doing again in the future. We feel that it was almost a two-year detour. We weren't staying true to ourselves for where we were going. And while everybody is better off now than they were two years ago, we just feel like we're finally back on track and true to who we are as a firm. All of the clients, the team members, whether they're still a part of the firm or no longer a part of the firm, and then the firm itself are all where they need to be today. And like I said, everyone's better off than we could have all imagined under our original plan two years ago. That's the crazy thing that these past two years will always serve as a reminder that growing just to grow is never the answer. If not done right, just revenue and client growth doesn't always translate to more net profit. And so we've used our experiences over the past two years to help clients actually avoid a similar mistake in their business as well. But that's one, I don't know that I would call it a mistake, but really just it's a learning event really that we're going to keep in our mind for years to come. So, Sure. Yeah, definitely a learning opportunity. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I think the best piece of advice, and it took me a while to learn it, was that you don't have to do everything yourself. I feel we've been very successful at building a team here at our firm that is better in their job than I could be if I had to wear their hat for a day. So my time is best spent holding strategic planning sessions and identifying opportunities with our clients. And I couldn't do any of that if we didn't have their accounting caught up with monthly financials or if the client was worrying about a large unknown tax liability or just some other unknown issue. The only way that we are successful in 
me being able to do my role is because everyone on our team is rocking it out and doing their job. And so they are essentially elevating me in order to be successful with our clients just by doing what they need to do. And so if I try to do it all myself, there's no way we would have the same level of success we we do have today. Now, I don't usually do this, but I want to take this a little deeper because you're hitting on something that I personally have struggled with and I know a lot of business owners struggle with. What have you done to make yourself better at delegating? How have you improved that yourself? Because that's the challenge. Well, you know, with time management, I tell this to our staff, I tell this to our kids, I tell this to our clients, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So I feel that if we view time as our most trusted resource and start putting barriers around how you spend that time, if you start to rank what is most important in your life and where you should be investing time or spending time, I think that will really free you up to know what you need to delegate. The other part of it is there are just things that, one, I'm not really good at. There are people that I've actually been very fortunate to surround myself with really good people who are just better at different things than I am. And that's just a really great, it's a really good feeling to know that you can fully hand something over to somebody and they're going to do that job so much better than you could have. And 10 years ago, I would have held on to that and not given it up. But I think that just comes a little bit with maturity and just knowing that you don't have all the time in the day. And so when we look at our client relationships, a lot of times when we are speaking to our clients, we are talking about time management. And whenever we are meeting with a dentist or a doctor and talking about their current workflow and how things are going in their office, and they're staying at the office until 7, 10 o'clock at night, doing things that they really should not be doing, that makes our job so easy. We can show our value so, so fast. And really, it might not even be a conversation about how you make more money. It's just about how you make more time. And so because we know that time is our most precious resource, that is what we hit on a lot here at our firm, at home, with our client. And so I think that's When you put that in perspective, you know you can't do everything yourself. It's interesting how much you've really become more of a business coach (laughs) than just an accountant. It's very... We, uh, yeah, we're their accountant, we're their coach, we're their therapist. We wear so many different hats that I think sometimes we couldn't fit all that on our business card. I think that's a good summary to wrap this up on. Well, for the audience, this has been another episode of Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited that website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Marcus's episode, of course, all our previous episodes, and we have a link to our recent book, 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career as well. So please check that out. On that note, Marcus, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? I think a big part of my life and the success that people see is really due to the people that I've surrounded myself with. So I would really encourage your listeners to surround themselves with people that make them better, people that push them, people that hold them accountable, because we couldn't be here today just telling our story without all of the relationships that we've had over the many years that have just made us better. And so you want people that are your biggest fans, celebrating your every win, 
and then they're also there on the bad days. So I think that's just something, whether you're in a career at a firm or an industry or just even a student, surround yourself with really good people who are going to make you better. Well said, definitely. That is wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see you next week. There's more to come.